Hensel-Becker. I am a Community Work Incentive Coordinator or a Benefit Planner. Um, I work with Plan to Work and we are a um, program that is funded by a grant from Social Security to provide benefit planning services to folks that are receiving a Social Security disability-based benefit. Um, so what we do is we provide free and confidential benefit planning services and we have two tiers of services. We do just general information if someone has a basic question and then we have a second tier of uh, very individualized services. So if someone wants us to take a look at their specific situation and how their employment goals are going to impact that situation, um, we do that as well. Um, we serve folks in the entire state of Washington except for about 10 counties on the Columbia River. Disability Rights Oregon serves those counties. Uh, we serve people between the ages of 14 and full retirement age, whenever that may be. And we prioritize individuals with employment or work-related questions, but if someone's in an overpayment situation or if they just have questions about their benefits, we're happy to help. Um, we, do, we do just prioritize employment-related questions if we're um, depending on caseload. So to start off with, there are two types, two main types of Social Security disability-based benefits that we're going to talk about today. Um, the first one is SSI, or Security Supplemental Income. And then we're going to use the term SSDI for um, benefits that are based off of paying in taxes or an entitlement-based benefits. So individuals can receive SSI, they can receive SSDI, or they can receive both of them at the same time. Um, while they're both Social Security benefits, they are completely different. They respond completely different to uh, earnings, resources, living situations. They're, they're just completely different benefits even though they're in the same house. And in Social Security, claims representatives for SSI folks and claims representatives for SSDI folks, they don't talk to each other. So if you do have both, you actually have to call each side of the house to report any changes. So I don't know if anyone's had that issue, but it's, it's very fragmented. So I want, you want to keep that in mind throughout this entire presentation that they are very, very different uh, benefits. And here's just sort of a, a visual of the difference between SSI and SSDI. So SSI is considered more of a welfare program. It's needs-based and means-tested, and there is a resource limit of $2,000 for a single person or $3,000 for a couple. The maximum amount you can receive for 2013 is 710. You can't receive any more than that if you're on SSI. You get Medicaid with SSI, and SSI is impacted by any income that you have coming in. Um, as if you get income from another source, your SSI will decrease, um, and it kind of varies depending on where your income sources are coming from. So SSDI is based on how much you paid in taxes. It's based on your previous work history or the previous work history of a parent that's deceased or retired. The benefit amount varies. You can get $800 a month. You can get $2,000 a month. It can be any, um, any amount um, under about $2,600. It comes with Medicare. It's only impacted by employment. The only thing Social Security cares about for folks on SSDI is if you're earning um, and you're earning due to work activity. Um, and with SSDI, you either receive all or nothing. There's no middle ground. So, and we're going to go uh, through these in, in much more depth. And here's just a comparison of the different work incentives that each one has, and there are a few similarities, but there's a lot of different ones, so this is more of just so that you can get an idea of how different the work incentives are for these two benefits. And so we're going to go into SSDI right now. So if you're on SSI, just feel free to daydream, space off, don't pay attention to this. Um, if you're on SSI, none of this stuff's going to apply to you. 
Um, and then just when we, when we go over to SSI and then just come back. But for right now, um, this only pertains to SSDI. So SSDI um, is funded by uh, what you paid into the system from working or, like I said, if, if you're pulling from a parent who's retired or deceased. So it's an entitlement program. It's an insurance program that someone has paid in um, for you, either yourself or a parent, for you to be able to pull that benefit. There is a five-month waiting period for cash benefits when you get on this, uh, this particular uh, cash benefit. So when, you, when they find you entitled, it's going to be five more months until you actually get that cash benefit. And then it comes with Medicare. And with Medicare, there's a two-year wait until your Medicare becomes active. So uh, luckily, with the Affordable Care Act, folks that are in that two-year waiting period can enter into the health care exchange and get affordable health insurance coverage, which is great for people that are in that situation and it's new and we're pretty excited about it. Um, and then Medicare comes with Part A, Part B, and Part D. You may have to pay a premium for Part B and you may have to pay a premium for or some for Part D as well. There is no asset limit with SSDI. You can win the lottery, Social Security doesn't care. You can have any living situation, you can have five houses, they don't care. All they care about are your earnings from employment. And then the way that they establish your earning level, um, they use something called substantial gainful activity. So we're going to go over substantial gainful activity a little bit and then we'll revisit it too in a couple of slides. So substantial gainful activity is um, more of, uh, it's not, not a very tangible um, thing. There's multiple factors that go into substantial gainful activity, but it's, it's just a basic test that Social Security uses to establish if you are disabled by their standards and if you are performing significant mental and or physical duties for profit, so if you're, if you're working. Um, there is a threshold dollar amount associated with substantial gainful activity and for 2013, for most people, it's $1,040 a month. So once you hit that threshold amount, Social Security is going to start taking a look to see um, how much you're earning and if you are performing substantial gainful activity. And the important thing to remember about substantial, it's not just a number. There's tons of other factors that go into this decision. And they're also looking at a sustained pattern of work behavior or employment, not just a month or two here and there. So for SSDI, work incentives are more in time-limited phases. So they go in a timeline. And we're going to go over phase one and phase two in today's presentation. So phase one is the trial work period, which is an awesome work incentive. Uh, it's a nine-month phase that allows you to work and receive your cash benefit no matter how much you're earning. You could earn $5,000 a month and be fine and still keep your cash benefit and your medical benefit, uh, your Medicare. The months don't have to be consecutive. So if you're a seasonal worker, maybe you do something during the summer and you can work three months out of the summer and make 5,000 bucks a month for those three months. Um, and then you'll use three trial work period months for the year and that's it. And then it will keep on going until you accumulate nine um, in a five-year period. The great thing about the trial work period is Social Security doesn't want someone to waste their trial work month on maybe earning $200 a month. So they did set a minimum that you need to earn in order to use a trial work month, and that minimum is $750 a month. So if you're earning $600 a month, quite frankly, Social Security doesn't care. You still want to let them know you're working, 
but if it's below your trial work period month amount, they're not going to do anything. You're not going to use a trial work period month. You can't enter into any of the other phases until you use up the trial work period. So they're just not going to care. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. So if you do want to start on a, on a part-time basis and only earn 600 bucks a month, that's definitely doable and sustainable for the long term. Once you use all nine months within a 60-month window, you then move into phase two. So to recap, you can make an unlimited amount for nine months, um, and in order to use one of these nine months, you have to earn a minimum of 750 a month. And so once you use that ninth month, you enter into what's called the extended period of eligibility. The extended period of eligibility is a 36-month period, or three years, that allows you to maintain your SSDI eligibility even if your check is paused. So this, this period protects you from termination due to work due um, from employment and earnings. So it starts immediately following that ninth month. You can't stop it or pause it. It just automatically starts. Your cash benefit continues for all months that you're earning below um, SGA. And then any month that your earnings are above SGA during this three-year period, your cash benefit's paused. But if it dips back below, then you get that benefit right back. You just have to call and report the change in earnings. And so we're going to go a little bit more into SGA at this point as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different factors that go into the SGA decision. And remember, that's the can you, it's substantial gainful activity. Are you performing a substantial level of work for a sustained amount of time? So here's some of the work incentives. It's kind of small, but we're going to go over a couple of these. We're going to go over impairment-related work expense, subsidies, special conditions, and then we'll briefly touch on the other three. But there are a lot of work incentives that factor in to the substantial gainful activity determination. So one of the most common ones is called an impairment-related work expense. And so essentially, it's an out-of-pocket cost that you paid for yourself um, that is related to an impairment that has been um, diagnosed by a doctor and something that you need to work. So a, a super common one we see are folks that have prescription drug costs. So if you're paying for a prescription, you can write that off. So what happens is if you're making $1,200 a month, that would put you over that threshold amount for SGA, but maybe you have $200 in prescription drug costs. So you can basically let your claims representative know that you have this $200 expense, you have to give them the receipts, um, and it has to be something that's been, um, it has to be for an impairment that's been diagnosed by a physician, and then they'll basically write that off. So instead of earning $1,200, Social Security will only count $1,000 of earnings for that month. So it's really helpful. And they can be one-time expenses. So maybe you purchased a, a modified vehicle and it was pretty expensive. You can, you can have that as an impairment-related work expense and they will divide that over the 12 months of the year. So you can maybe have you know, $2,000 written off a year if you purchased a modified vehicle for work. Um, and then the other thing, you, and, and really there's no hard uh, set rules for impairment-related work expenses, if you can make a really good case of why you need this item for work, and as long as it's related to a medical condition, I say you, you should try to write it off, talk to your claims representative, make a good case for why this should be an impairment-related work expense, and see if you can get it written off and deducted from your, your earnings amount. So it's a really fantastic tool that you can use, um, and really, you just need to make sure you save the receipt, 
uh, you make a good, a good case for why this would be an impairment-related work expense, why you need this thing to work, um, and just make sure that it is related to a medical condition. And so you'll, and then from there, you just send in your receipt to your claims representative, and you provide something in writing with your explanation. So it's a really fantastic work incentive. Another really great one that a lot of folks utilize is something called a subsidy. And so a subsidy is extra, it, it correlates to extra supportive services provided by your employer. So say you have a job description, um, Social Security is going to um, very, in, in a very sterile way, look at that job description. And then they're going to confer with your employer whether or not you're meeting all of the tasks in the job description. So maybe you're only doing 80% of the job duties in the job description. If your employer confirms that, then Social Security is only going to count 80% of your earnings. So these can go anywhere from you know, 10% to 70%. Um, you can get quite a bit written off. Um, and, the, and they're huge. They're, I mean, if you can get half of your earnings essentially written off, you can still keep that cash benefit. And so um, one example is, you know, if you have a flexible schedule, Social Security will look at that and say, you know, is this an accommodation made by your employer? And so they may give you a subsidy because you do, your employer is providing a flexible schedule. Um, or irregular hours, that's, that's another common one. So this is a really fantastic benefit. Um, in order to get to this one and the impairment-related work expense, you'll have to have used your trial work period first. Um, and then uh, what they'll do is they'll actually send out a work activity report. And on that report, there'll be questions that sort of prompt you to indicate whether or not you may have a subsidy. And then from there, they'll check with your employer to see if your employer confirms. So the big thing with subsidies are you want to be on the same page with your employer and let them know that they're going to be getting contacted by Social Security to confirm whether or not um, what you indicated was true. But they're really fantastic. Um, and if your employer says, yeah, like, yeah, you're, I give, you have irregular hours, um, you come in an hour late, so you're maybe, you know, 20% of your, your earnings can be written off, then that's fantastic. And um, it's something that we hope a lot more folks utilize because it's available and out there. And then there's special conditions. And so this is um, assistance provided by someone other than yourself or your employer. So we typically see these um, when, when someone has um, like a job coach or if an employer, or not an employer, but if a third party um, purchases assistive technology for someone's behalf. So if, if someone purchases ATs to make um, to basically make employment easier um, and, and more productive, then you can write that off. So if someone you know, purchases $1,200 in software for you, if you use a nonprofit um, and utilize a nonprofit and get software um, to be more productive, then that could be written off. And you could write that off all in one month. You could divide that up and take 100 bucks off a month. Um, it sort of works the same way as the impairment-related work expense, except for someone else has to buy it. Or, you know, if, if someone else comes in and helps um, do modifications to your workspace, that would count as well. So there are really a lot of great work um, incentives available. Some other ones that are available, if you, if you don't sustain work at the substantial gainful level for more than six months, then Social Security should look at that and should write it off as an unsuccessful work attempt. So that's something you want to keep in mind. 
So if you can't sustain that for more than six months, it shouldn't count against you. Or if your wages fluctuate month to month, maybe you do have a really flexible schedule and you're going to work more during certain months than others, and during certain months, sure, you go above SGA, Social Security should average that out over the quarter so that one month isn't, isn't going to do any damage. They should average out your earnings. And so, and then we always encourage people, if you have specific uh, questions about your situation or if you want more information about any of these, to talk to a benefits planner. Um, there's tons available that are free. Um, so we always encourage that. Because Social Security um, Disability Insurance, SSDI, tends to get a little complicated with a lot of the stuff. Another thing I want to point out, because I've just seen it happen a lot, is for SSDI, they should be counting when your wages are earned, not when you get paid. So for a lot of folks, that can make a big difference. If you get three paychecks one month instead of a normal two, um, you want to write on there what hours you actually worked, because they should be um, attributing the appropriate number of hours and amount to that month instead of just looking at when you got paid. So that's a problem that we've run into in the past is a lot of folks um, end up in situations where it looks like they made a lot more in one month just because a paycheck fell randomly. Okay, so I'm going to, oh, and then if you do have a successful return to work um, and, and you went through your trial work period, three years have passed, so you're out of your EPE and you're working above SGA, um, at that point you'll most likely be terminated due to employment if you're above SGA. Uh, you have five years from that termination date to utilize something called expedited reinstatement. And what this does is it allows you to get six months of provisional payments while your file is being reviewed. And during this time, Social Security is just making sure that you have the same disability that you originally qualified for or that you have one directly related to that. So it's, it's pretty great because most folks actually get on within that six-month provisional payment timeline. Um, so it's a really fantastic work incentive as well. Even if you do get terminated due to employment, you, you do have this work incentive available. So the main point is you're never more than a month away from your cash benefit for um, almost nine years. If you count your trial work period, your three years of EPE, and your expedited reinstatement. So that's almost nine years where you're never more than a month away of having that cash benefit if you do return to work and you decide that you need that benefit. For Medicare, um, if you're on Medicare um, and you continue to have a disability, you'll have your Medicare coverage for at least 93 months after that trial work period. Uh, and that's, that's the absolute minimum. Most people I work with have it for far, far longer. Um, and that, so yeah, that's the gist of it, is that you'll have it for at least 93 months. Um, and if you do return to work and you're only on Medicare, there's another really fantastic uh, program you can get on called Healthcare for Workers with Disabilities. And this allows you to purchase Medicaid um, by paying a premium that's never more than 7.5 of your total income. And this will pick up your Medicare premium. It should pick up most of your, all of your prescription drug costs. Um, it should pretty much pay for everything. You won't have, um, any sort of costs related to personal care and uh, personal needs allowance if you have health care for workers with disabilities. Um, it's essentially, it's full Medicaid, uh, and that premium works as any sort of other cost that you would be paying. And there's no resource limit 
with Medicaid, we'll go over, there is a resource limit. And with Healthcare for Workers with Disabilities, it's the only Medicaid program right now that does not have a resource limit. And it's, it has a pretty good um, income limit. If you, have unearned, or if you have earned income, so if you only have earned income, you can earn about $48,000 a year and still be eligible for healthcare for workers with disabilities. If you have a mixture of unearned income, it's gonna be a little bit different, but if you just have earned income, you can make up to about 48,000, so that's, that's a pretty good deal for Medicaid. Okay, so now we're gonna switch gears, and we're going to move into SSI. So if you have SSDI, you don't really need to pay attention to this stuff because it's not gonna pertain to you. But if you weren't paying attention before, this is when you want to pay attention now if you have SSI. So we're going to jump right into how uh, Social Security counts income for SSI. So SSI fluctuates on a month-to-month -month basis depending on what sort of income you have coming in. So you, when you start working, you want to report your income by the 10th of the following month every month. So you need to be reporting continuously every month you want to be reporting. So what they're going to do is if you have any sort of income, any sort of unearned income um, that's not employment related or earned, um, they're gonna take, they're, they're gonna give you a $20 deduction off of that. And then they're gonna count that dollar for dollar and reduce your check dollar for dollar from that. Um, for earnings, they're, gonna, they're not gonna count $65 of your earnings. And then they're gonna take what's left over from that, six, once you subtract out that 65, cut that in half. And then what you have left that's what they're going to deduct from your, from your cash benefit. So it should be set up in a way where you should always end up financially ahead by returning to work. So I have an example up here, and this example is a pretty straightforward one. If you don't have any other income and you, just, you decide to try out work and you go to work and you earn $850 in a month, so what they're going to do is they're going to use that first $20 since you don't have any other income to apply it to. Then they're going to take off that $65 since it's earned income to leave you with 765, then they're gonna divide that by half, and then that remainder is what they're gonna take from that 710. So that would leave you, if you were making 850 a month, that would leave you with an SSI check of 327.50 that month, and a total um, monthly income of $1,177.50, which beats 710. So um, that's how they do that. They're gonna do a calculation like this every month to adjust, so you want to make sure that you continue to report every month. It's really important. And then for work, that's, that's really all there is for SSI. It's just this calculation every time. Um, and so now we're going to go into some, some work incentives for SSI. So SSI also utilizes impairment-related work expenses. So it's the same thing. Any out-of-pocket costs for items needed to work are deducted from the earnings before the earnings are halved. So you essentially, they don't count half. It turns out that you, you get half of the, the cost of them. So if you have 850 a month in wages and 200 in prescription costs, this is how it would play out. They would take that, um, the same calculation for earnings. And then from the earnings before they half it, they would take off the $200 to give you 565, divide that by two, and then you'd have 282, and that's what would be deducted from your check. So it wouldn't be the full 200, you'd really only get a deduction of $100, but it's better than, than nothing. So that's how ERIs are, or impairment-related work expenses are calculated in. So you, you wanna 
you want to keep receipts if you have any, if you think you have any. And, and like I said before, if you can make a good case, I would go ahead and try to get it approved. Um, you just need to make sure to keep your receipts and make a clear case of why this would be an impairment-related work expense. And then go for it, because it's really up to your claims representative to decide whether or not they think that is an impairment-related work expense. Um, and yeah, it works the same way as the other one. So sorry for making you guys do math. I feel weird trying to just say math and, and not like write it down. <laughs> um, another really fantastic one um, is a student earned income exclusion. So the, the caveat to this one is you have to be under age 22 to utilize it. But if you are under age 22 and you're regularly attending school, um, which we have the definition of, right, the Social Security's definition of, and we don't need to go into that, um, but if you're considered regularly attending school, um, basically their Social Security is not going to count up to 1730 of your earned income per month until you use up um, a max of 6960 a year. So you could be making 1000 bucks a month. They're not going to count that for um, six months, and then you'll have part of it counted on that seventh month because of the student earned income exclusion to really promote students to return to work. So that's a really great one. Um, it's, it's good to know about and it's good to utilize before you're 22. And they really want students to take advantage of work studies and internships if possible. And even if you're homeschooled, you can still qualify for this. So it's a, it's a really fantastic one if you are under 22. And then Medicaid. So the huge thing with SSI is that it comes with Medicaid. Um, and, and most people don't really care about the cash part they just care about the Medicaid because Medicaid's kind of huge, especially if you have really high medical costs and there's no way you can return to work and cover those Medicaid costs. Um, so there is a really great work incentive involved um, that you can use when you're on SSI. And it's called 1619B and it's just kind of down there. Um, but if your earnings are so high that it causes your SSI check to reduce to zero, you can still receive your Medicaid through 1619B if you're still considered disabled by Social Security's definition, have assets under $2,000 for an individual or $3,000 for a couple, you use your Medicaid once during the calendar year, and you have annual earnings below the state threshold, which is $29,269. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So, so yeah, so if you make, so the, the, to, to even out, so when your earnings go so high that your SSI drops to zero, that's when this is gonna kick in. So as long as you keep your assets under $2,000, you're using your Medicaid, um, most people are fine on this. For the state threshold, once you hit that point, then the state is going to take a look and see how much your medical costs are and if they're going to boost that state threshold. So we worked with a, with a gentleman who um, he had personal care and he was a paralegal. And I think the last time we spoke with him, he was earning about $50,000 and he was a year and he was still in 1619B because his medical costs were so high that when they do this threshold, uh, individualized threshold amount, they take into account how much you would be paying out of pocket if you didn't have your Medicaid. So it's possible to earn way more than that 29269 if you do have high medical bills. So that's something to keep in mind. So when you reach that point, at that point, they're going to take a look and see, take a look at your medical situation and see if you, if you would get a higher individualized threshold. So 1618B, is, it's, it's really fantastic. Um, you can keep your Medicaid, you know, indefinitely on this as long as you just follow these four rules. 
And I think the big thing that gets people are the asset limits. So if you're in this or if your SSI is reduced to zero due to earnings, but you're still on Medicaid, you want to make sure that you keep track of your assets because that's usually what catches people up. If you do want to save, though, you can always go apply for health care for workers with disabilities if you're working and get on that program and pay a premium but be able to save. Another um, work incentive that Social Security has is something called the Ticket to Work. And the Ticket to Work is a, it's a voluntary program for people who want help reaching employment goals, and it allows individuals to access free of charge services from employment networks. So basically, Social Security has a pot of money that they will spend um, on employment services for someone receiving a disability-based benefit. They contract out with employment providers, and they pay this employment provider for providing employment services to that individual. Um, the, the number of uh, employment providers contracting with Social Security ebbs and flows. Um, if you want a list, you can contact me and I'll get you a list. Um, but participating in the ticket program um, allows you to have a little bit of an of a increased choice of who you want uh, vocational services from instead of, you know, just say DVR. You can maybe choose a different employment provider who may be better fitted to your specific needs depending on, on what they are. If you want to go into self-employment, maybe you could find someone that specializes in self-employment and use your ticket to get employment services from that person or that provider. The other thing is, um, if you're concerned about uh, continuing disability review or a continuing medical review, it'll pause that. So that's just a side note in there, too, is that while your ticket's assigned, you won't have any medical reviews. Once it, it's unassigned or once you've used it all up, then you'll have those regular, you'll have your disability reviews once again. Um, and here's the contact information to get information about your ticket. It's not a physical ticket, it's your social security number. So if you called an employment provider and just said that you were on social security, you were on a social security disability based benefit and ask if they um, are an employment network or if they would accept it. Um, they would just ask for your social security number and assign it that way. So you don't need a physical ticket, um, which can get confusing. So how you use your ticket. You assign it to an employment network. Um, and the thing to keep in mind here is the, the idea behind the ticket is to give you a choice on what sort of employment provider you want so that you're not stuck with just one agency. So you really want to think of it as you're interviewing them to make sure that they can provide the services that you need from them. And so you want to you call several, see what they offer, see what they do, see if it would be a good fit for you. And then the employment networks, they don't have to accept everyone's ticket. Um, but so after talking to them, they, you know, they would accept your ticket, and then they would provide the services uh, needed, you needed to get back to work or start a business and just help you reach those employment goals. And employment networks can be a number of different things. There's actually a few employers, like Walmart is an employment network. You can assign your ticket to them. Weird side note. Um, but they, they all contract with Social Security. And then other resources. Of course, um, there is the Division of Voc uh, Rehabilitation, DVR. And you can get services from them without assigning your ticket. Um, and they, they're um, a good resource if you need some retraining skills or maybe you need some, you're going to need to have an employment goal that's going to need some financial support because they do have that ability. There's WorkSource, 
work source, um, especially in this area, um, is trying to um, really um, beef up employment uh, service providers that um, work with folks that have a disability, so they're really focusing on that. So you can go to our work source and get assigned a counselor um, who will help you with your resume, with job leads, um, and that sort of thing. And then there are benefit planners, which is what I do, and we help folks plan ahead so that they know what's going to happen um, when you return to work. And then there's Disability Rights Washington um, that helps individuals with any legal issues. Um, if you have any problem with, ticket to, if, with your ticket to work, you would contact Disability Rights Washington. Um, or if you had any problems with benefit planners, you could contact them as well. And then independent living centers. Um, so those are sort of just a, a big overview of other resources that should be able to help you with the return to work process. So plan to work. Uh, we can be the experts on federal, state, and local benefits. Um, we, if you are um, going to be receiving individualized services from us, we keep individuals on our caseload for an indefinite amount of time. As long as you're still eligible for a benefit, um, we'll still provide benefit planning services for you. So someone who maybe is using their trial work period months, um, we can provide some benefit planning for them, and then maybe they um, roll into the extended period of eligibility and they need some help because they're concerned about whether or not they're going to be above SGA and if they could use a subsidy. We could come in at that point and help them develop that subsidy and make sure that they're utilizing any work, or any work incentives that would apply to that individual is being appropriately applied. And then if you have questions about Social Security stuff, we if we can't answer it, we can refer you to someone um, that does. We don't help people apply for benefits we have um, due to our funding stream. We work with people that are already on a disability-based benefit, but if someone has questions about how to apply, we know a bunch of referral sources that we can send you to to get help with that. And then that is our contact information. So I'm going to open it up for, for questions. And I think Jeannie has a microphone that she's going to bring around. Yes. Who's got questions? For people who have just, who have a brand new spinal cord injury, are there certain things that you'd recommend for them so that they don't jeopardize being able to go back to work later or kind of keep in mind who they should talk to or what they should do so that they could get back to work eventually? Um, as far as um, benefits go, the thing you want to keep in mind is you just want to get in and apply as soon as possible because for, for most folks that... Um, have a spinal cord injury and are new to it, they're probably going to be on SSDI and they're going to have that five-month waiting period. So you want to get on as quickly as possible. Um, and then really, the only way that you would jeopardize your benefits is if you were working above that SGA threshold amount before you actually started receiving a cash benefit. So if you took a temp job and were making $2,000 a month during that five-month period, um, entitlement period, then at that point you would be terminated. So, yeah, so there's not, not a whole lot. Just make sure, just get on as, as quickly as possible because it does take time. All of these things take time, which is really unfortunate because people really, when, when people apply for this stuff, they really need it. Um, you said you keep people on your kind of role indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So um, people can start this process at any point, even if they're, you know, I'm not thinking of working for two, three, 
months or six months or yeah. whenever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you um, are just curious about what what sort of impact that's going to have on your benefits before you start the job search process, and you want to, I mean, a lot of people they just want to have a really clear understanding of where their benefit situation is going to be when they do start working. Um, we can definitely do a hypothetical situation um, based on the person's earning goal and employment goal, so that they'll have a really good idea. Of, of what's going to happen and what sort of situation they're going to be in so that they can plan ahead. So yeah, that's a really big piece is we just want to make sure that whoever we're working with has enough information to make the best decision for their situation. And then um, on another one, recently somebody contacted us and was asked, they work full time and were wondering, uh, getting close to retirement age and kind of wanting to do the reverse where they're working and then get on Social Security. Um, have you, is that something you've ever heard of? Where instead of kind of getting on Social Security and disability and then finding employment, he wants to kind of take a little bit early retirement and start to get Social Security disability. So I guess that would be just the normal application. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can get early retirement and a Social Security disability-based benefit at the same time. That is possible, um, but but for most folks, they're going to be on one or the other. So. Other questions? So if you completed the nine-month trial work period and you still had some time left on your extended eligibility period, mm -hmm. but you... Uh, lost your job with still six months to go, how would that be yeah, so, figured? <laughs> yeah, so you would just, you would call your claims representative, tell them, you know, you're no longer working. Um, you'd get that cash benefit back that next month and it would continue indefinitely until you um, were working at a substantial gainful level for more than six months really, because they're gonna, because you'll still have different work incentives that can be applied after that. So. Yeah, so during EPE, if you, if you were working and then something happened and you had no earnings, you could potentially continue indefinitely on that cash benefit. Does that make sense? Would you get another nine-month trial work period, or is it no. once you use your nine-month trial work period, that's it? Yeah, once you use your nine-month trial work period, that's it, which is unfortunate because a lot of people don't realize they have it, and so they don't utilize it to the best of... To, to, in, a, in a way that's most advantageous to them. Um, if you're terminated and then you reapply or you get on EXR, then you get it back, but unless you're terminated, then once you use it, that's it. I mean, that's during it. the whole time, is it still the same? Yeah, that's the thing? same. You'll just use, you'll just go through that EPE, and then after that, you'll, you'll just, I mean, at that point, I would really recommend talking to a benefit planner to, to discuss different work incentives that would be applicable. Yeah. Well, join me in thanking Emma for her coming tonight, and thank you for great information.